0: Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Nick Klostava, RRCA and USATF certified running coach for Lift Run Perform. Nick has been running for most of his life, but he took a big break in between running in high school and college and then finding running later in life. And his experience in doing that really informs our conversation well because today we're talking about base building. And what that is, and kind of that naturally complements what might be termed an off-season. And you're probably thinking, "What? Is, what is an off-season? To everything, there is a season, and running is no different. It is just seasons upon seasons of running with different goals and purposes in each season. So if you've been wondering what base building is, uh, what an off-season is, this conversation is definitely for you. Nick, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks so
1: much for having me.
0: Of course, with all my guests, I want to hear a bit about you as a runner before we get started with the topic. So, tell us, Nick, how did you start running? How did you become a runner, and how did you end up as the coach you are today?
1: Well, it goes back to high school. So, back in high school, I was playing a lot of football with my friends, flag football, and you know, one of my friends had joined the cross country team and got relatively faster than me, and you know, it was like, "Oh, you can never catch me," and you can never do cross country. So, you know as a boy being challenged by another boy, it was like, all right, well, I'll try out. And, you know, so I joined cross country my sophomore year and just found out I was relatively good at running and didn't get really tired that much and just kept running and doing things I didn't quite understand as a sophomore. And, you know, I enjoyed it and had a lot of fun. I ended up running high school, then in college. And then at the end of college, sort of class and, you know, being a division one athlete kind of came on top of each other and I sort of stopped running to finish school. And then I ended up taking about eight years off. And then I moved to Maryland. And when I moved here, I was like, oh, well, I don't know any people. I like running. So I started running again. And then, you know, like all runners, I picked a goal and it was a marathon. And I was like, cool, I'll just run this marathon. And then all the kind of joy and and love of running came back. And for most of my 2010, my 30s, I was a runner again. I was, and I was, you know, noticing a lot of the things I did as a 20 year old, you know, race anxiety, pressure on myself, comparing to others, comparing to my version of myself from, you know, yesteryears. And, you know, I learned a lot about those things. That I think every runner suffers with and, and struggles with. And so it sort of led me down this path to eventually getting my own coach and then sort of seeing this love and joy that coaches can bring to people's lives and not the coaches of the nineties or two thousands where it was a lot more yelling and you know a lot more focused on goals and now it's like your goals can be anything if it can bring joy in life and fun in life and you know so it led me to become a coach and you know use the empathy and and the highly sensitive person i am to kind of connect with people and help them through all the the things that i've struggled with are the things that they need help with you know
0: that's really interesting that you've seen it from all the way through because a lot of my guests and a lot of runners that I talk to find the sport later in life. And you've actually you've had the experience of running young, competitively, going through the you know, cross country system, obviously running at a fairly high level and also then have the dual experience of turning into a recreational runner later in life. So that's really cool that you have seen really kind of both sides of how most people experience running.
1: Yeah, I think and it it, it taught me a lot because, you know, back in younger years, it was a different, it was just, I, I came into it as a competitive person and it was harder to shake that coming back as not, you know, trying not to be competitive literally all the time. And the only thing I knew, um, and so, you know, and it was hard to compare myself to a 20 year old who could do things that my body can't do at 36 and that's okay. I just have to train differently and smarter.
0: Uh, so today we're talking about base building, and actually, you and I met on Instagram, where I meet all my friends these days, and had some really great conversations back and forth about a variety of topics. with One of them specifically about base building, and how it's such an often neglected part of most runners, especially that recreational runner. Uh, recreational meaning like you're not doing this as your job, and you're not doing it to keep your scholarship. You know, um, most recreational runners either don't know what a base is, don't know how to build the base, don't know why they should care about building a base. So, do you just want to bring it all back to the base X? What is a base? What is base building? What is a running base?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting term that I think is tossed around and maybe sometimes used incorrectly, maybe not incorrectly, but just not quite understanding the concept of it i think a lot of runners are just goal oriented right they finish a marathon they already have another one on the calendar it's three months later and it's like let's go and you know we're just in that cycle of when's our next race and let's do it and you know there's a part period where base is super important and you know i'd argue that base is really the foundation that supports your training and you know we we talk about base phase starting sort of after a big race a big race being this huge stressful event where it breaks down most of the the muscles and the, the things in your body that you need to recover from. So after that comes, you know, it's time to work on a base. It's not time to just jump back into training. You know, you can start running. Everyone has a different amount of time they need off after a race. I'm not going to tell you you need two weeks or one day, but you do need some time to recover from the hard intensity and you, you need to have build some bricks to support your next training block.
0: So thinking about a base, there's a couple different ways that I think about it. And one is kind of like the more ephemeral having a strong aerobic base, right? Like you want to build a strong base. And for most runners, listening, an aerobic base is what you want. Um and then there's also we talk about concrete numbers talking about having a volume or a mileage base. And those things can go hand in hand, but they're slightly different. Do you want to explain the difference between like kind of the you know having a strong base as like a concept versus building a mileage base
1: yeah i think so you know building a mileage base to me sort of is this idea of like you know putting in a couple hundred like 300 to 500 miles of foundation of bricks that you can use to support your training ahead and that's a generally a lot of easy running um you know mid medium long runs a long run each week um sort of building up to not it's not again setting you know huge PRs in mileage you know if you do sixty miles a week normally it's not okay it's base time I'm gonna do a hundred it's just the way to get hurt it's, it's following the same fundamentals you do with you know a couple of weeks of increasing mileage and then a down week but just easy running just runs that are just purposeful. The purpose is to put mileage on because as we know easy runs do build up your fitness they you know you've talked about it in many posts on many podcasts of how the the easy runs help you gain fitness so why not put down a couple hundred miles of this base to then support the hard work ahead and so you know that's sort of my idea of the difference between the two
0: and then the thing about you know building a base is that it's one of those things that is cumulative like if you keep running consistently is one of the best ways to build up your base if you train consistently run consistently recover consistently your base is going to be much stronger after five years than it was after one year, much stronger after 10 years than it was after five years. Just continuing, like you said, to add bricks to your base. I, you know, if you build a strong foundation, I think I said in one of our conversations, you can't build a skyscraper on toothpicks. Like, <laughs> If your goal is to build a skyscraper to run that, that giant goal time, like you need the strongest foundation possible to rest the rest of your training on.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, a lot of times it's it's this idea of well, the only way to gain fitness is to do workouts and to do these long runs with tons of intensity in them. And that's why I think runners quickly jump back into workouts because it's I have no time to waste. I have another race and I have a goal and it's big and scary and it's time to work hard. And, you know, I think if runners kind of looked at this with a different approach of, hey, let's have two big base periods each year and if we take this time to build up this these bricks this this foundation i'll I'll say that a lot because that's really what base is and you know if you have that you can do amazing big things and you can work hard in the middle after this is set but if you try and work hard before you have a base sure you might survive a couple races but it's usually why love runners limp into their big hard intensity peak weeks and they're like oh my god my body's breaking down i don't know what's happening well maybe you did a twenty four week workout cycle for this race because you started workouts two weeks after your race. You know, you don't need that. And you know, the other part of it is right is you know, peaking is a thing we don't talk about enough, but like people peak way too soon sometimes and that all your fitness is sort of lost when it's three weeks off from your race and you crush a long run and you're like, Well, I did my race today, cool. But the race is three weeks from now. So like we don't start workouts so early because We don't want to peak three weeks out. We want to peak the day of our big race.
0: And having that huge base. I I mean, I think it's race specific work is great. We all want to do race specific workouts from, from my perspective, a, a really strong base is almost in my mind, more important than any race specific work you can do, because the base is what gets you almost all the way there. And the race specific workouts are kind of what fine tune at the end, end of it. But like, you can't, if you can't do the volume. If you don't have the base already, you can't be throwing down these monster workouts because you just, you won't be able to support the volume at that intensity.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that's really the whole point of the base word and i think you know using it in the sense of not base is okay well i am working hard and gaining fitness and doing these big workouts but i am letting my body not only recover build up support and it's supporting that block that's ahead and yes it's hard to say your race is 6 months out and say okay well i'm going to um you know have 2 months of just base building Um, people would be worried that I don't have enough time for my race then, but the base is allowing you to work harder later on. And if you don't, you probably will break down.
0: So what if somebody says to you, coach Nick, so it, it sounds like I don't race then what am I supposed to race twice a year? I like to, you know, they might say to you, but I like to race every month in some way. How does base building fit into this?
1: You know, my first thing I'll say is first figure out what your runner's goals are, right? So if if someone likes to race a lot and that's their goal, support it, right? Like I I always want my runners to do whatever makes them happy. It's not my journey. It's not my adventure. It's theirs. So if racing a lot is, we'll, we'll train very differently. Maybe we work in a lot of bigger, they tell me this is a big race and this is a train through race. And for the train through race, maybe we the week isn't incredibly intense but the workout the race is counted sort of as a workout not an all-out effort where they're breaking down they probably will still race it um because you know they tell you they're not going to and they might that's fine but you know then having these big periods and after those kind of working this maintenance kind of concept of you know okay well we'll have a little bit of a big break this week not big but like maybe an extra rest day, maybe a, a run that supports the recovery from this to then get you to your next big goal race so you can keep training. But, you know, and, and or maybe just working base around them and treating their their races occasionally as fitness checks, as, you know, okay, well, it's a down week. Let's You can do a race, see where your fitness is at, and then we'll, you know, go back to the next week with some more base. But, you know, I think it's just always important as a coach to – take your own take yourself out of the equation and what you want for your athlete. Cause what I want from athlete doesn't matter. If they're happy running for 20 miles a week and you know running these races, I love that and that's amazing and let's support that. And I don't want to push them in any direction, right?
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the hardest things about structuring training in general, especially if you're self-coached. Or learning about the sport for the first time and you're learning all these rules about how to train and how not to train and in most cases you can actually do a lot of things that are technically against the rules but just because of how your training is structured like there's a lot of like variables be manipulated a lot of well what are you trying to do what's the big picture look like can we make this work and I do the same thing with my athletes too they come to me and like I'm gonna do this is this okay I thought you might I'm like yeah We'll make it work you know, as a coach, my like you said my my goal is to support their goals and just make sure that they can do them effectively and that just means getting really creative with the training sometimes.
1: yeah, and the answer to coaching always is maybe right that's our that's our answer to any question, right? yeah, maybe we can do that. It just depends how things go because everyone's body is different, everyone trains differently. you don't know what someone's stress levels or other things are. so all that makes up to the answer the athlete's looking for, which is maybe, and then we, we work towards something together.
0: So for people who might be confused about how base building training, base training might be different from race specific training. Can you explain what that looks like? The two different things?
1: Yeah. So base training is the kind of, it's, You would think of it as, you know, let's say, again, I let my runners tell me how many days a week they're running. So someone runs, let's just say five days a week. So you'd have your two off days. If they want to cross train on one of those days, more than welcome to. And then during the week, you'd have your long run. You'd have a couple medium long runs. And, you know, I do everything by minutes, so minutes-based. And then, you know, a couple easy days. Again, fitting into the usual volume an athlete has. Base building isn't about doubling your volume because it's all easy. It's over bases as you do another base cycle. Sure, you can increase. Again, the base volume probably doesn't even reach the peak volume you'll have during training. That's not the point of base building. So, you know, base is a perfect time also to add in a new stimulus. So I always wanted, a runner always wants to strength train, right? And usually what happens is we're in the middle of a training block. And they feel like they're breaking down so they go i've neglected my strength training let me bring that back in and as a coach you're like well hold up you're breaking down already and now you're introducing another stressor well this is not gonna go well probably like let's build that into the base the perfect time introduce this new stress let your body take a hold of it because as we know build starting strength training is usually when it's at its worst on your body if you do it consistently like running yeah strength training can becomes a part of your 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 workload, but don't introduce it in the middle of race specific training, do it in base where your body can support. And, you know, so in race training, specific training, again, the concept of running always is every run has a purpose. Every block of training has a purpose, right? So in race specific block of of that part of the training, it's it's about your goals. It's about working hard towards those race specific paces, chasing against, you know, if you're racing a half threshold pace and, you know, mixing in interval pace, uh, Base isn't about that. Base is, there's, there's in my mind, two parts. There's a base building part, a couple hundred miles, 300 to 500 miles is a good measure of doing base. And then there's the, the workout portion of base building where you work in some, you know, I usually add steady state runs at this point. It's not something I put ever in race specific phases. Um, It's not, it's a random area of training that sort of may or may not serve a purpose, but it serves a perfect purpose in base building. It's something you can build up longer and longer, 20, 30, 40 minutes, you know, for people who don't know, um, steady state runs are sort of like what you could maintain for two, two and a half hours. So some people that's their marathon pace and some people that's their half and that's okay. And that's, but that's sort of, you build up that steady state run is it's not a huge taxing um, intense on your body, but it's another run that builds up that aerobic base.
0: I really am partial to progression runs as the workout in base building. I mean, because there can be really as self-directed or as regimented as you want to make them, um, anywhere from, I'm just going to progress down from really easy to kind of easy, you know, or you can really go for it kind of depending on what else is going on in your base training at that time.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, the good thing, uh, the big point of base training, uh, workouts, right. Is, Who cares that pace? Throw it out the window. So fart licks. And it can be a fart lick where you can just write to your athlete, if you have two telephone poles in your town, run to three telephone poles. They don't know how many meters it is. They don't know how long it should take. Who cares? Just run three telephone poles and then rest for two. Um, You know, those types of things where it's not bringing in the race-specific numbers that sometimes plague runners because it's base phase. Who cares? We're just trying to work hard on effort and you know, have fun, enjoy it, and build this these blocks, right this foundation.
0: That is a very hard concept for a lot of runners to switch over to and buy into is that they are not given specific distances and paces so they're given effort duration, you know, instead of being like, because yeah, I agree with you to tell some runners, I want you to do an effort based fartlek using the landscape around you for an hour. they'll look at me and go I- a what? I, I'm on my own? Like I have to, and I'm like, yeah, go have fun with it. You know, because for, for some runners, like they, learning to trust that effort, one, base building is a perfect time to do it, but that's a really scary place to be for a lot of runners who are so used to looking at those numbers.
1: Yeah. And I think, so funny story. So I, I got my coach in 2017, David Roach, and he, one of the first things he wrote in our email was, okay, well, I give workouts, minute-based, effort-based. I'm not going to give you a pace. I'm not going to tell you how to run it. And he's like, "Is that a deal breaker?" Um, and I was like, uh, "I've never done it before, but sure, I'll try anything." Um, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to get away from the track because I've done it for 15 years. At that point, I knew every single mile pace by 100 meters. You know, I'd run hundred meters. I'd be like, "This is 55, 35 pace." I'm like, "This is too much feedback. I don't want that." And you know, now I train. I tell a lot of people I train, and when I do my workouts, I don't even split them. Like, you know, if I have 10 by two minutes i and i have a 20-minute warm-up i'll run 20 minutes at 20 minutes i'll run hard for two minutes around my blocks and then i'll run easy for two minutes and I, i never lap it i don't know what intervals i'm running i don't know what pace i'm running but when i finish i'm usually very happy with my effort because i know i put the right effort out and i end up being very happy with my workout if i would have seen splits during it afterwards I'd be, I'd probably maybe be upset that it wasn't fast enough. It wasn't what I expected. I expected it to be quicker, you know. And so it takes that out. It lets me feel positive, and I'm always putting out the right effort. And I think the key about effort right is in sure, it's. There's times where you want specific race paces, but when the more you can learn on effort. That's what you're going to race at, right? Like you really just can't stare at your watch for 26 miles of a marathon. Like you have to have some semblance of effort, unless you're going to run with the pace group or a friend's going to pace you like, otherwise you have to have effort and that's why people say I go out too hard. Um, you know, I, I, I blew up earlier. I blew up late because I went out really hard, but learning that effort in training, you know, doing a eight mile marathon pace run where you don't look at your watch and let your body find your marathon effort that day. That's huge. It's hard for runners. But it's huge because if you conquer that, I don't care if you run the exact pace that you think you want to or five seconds slower. Conquering that gets you much more prepared for your race than staring at this watch or having it beep in your ear if you're one second slow or one second fast.
0: The feedback that we get from paces, when my runners are telling me something about the pace that they ran, I'll give them a pace range or I'll give them an effort zone. Then they'll like, you know. In their workout feedback say something about oh you know i tried to hit the split and i'll i'll look and i'll discuss it and say well it looks like your effort was in the right place that's all i care about i care about your effort i don't care about the exact split i care about the effort because you're it doesn't really matter what you run from a numbers perspective it matters what it feels like when you do it because actually that's what's going to get you across the finish line or not like you said if you go out too hard and blow up early
1: yeah, my, my favorite mantras is workouts are about gaining fitness, not proving it. I think no, too many runners go into workouts and they have to prove their ex fit or they can't run their race. And that usually sometimes translates to 12 weeks of training. So 11 weeks, they proved they're ready. And then one week they didn't, and then they just harp on that one. Right. So uh, well, this one, I shouldn't have missed this one. And no, like I, there's many times I've trained at a slower pace because I've gone by effort and then raced much faster and. That's sort of the point, right? If you do your training right and you peak for your race, you will have more fitness than on your run random training days because you're fatigued. You know, you have a lot of, uh, you know, all that cumulative volume on yourself and you taper down and don't have it for race day.
0: This fall, I feel like, especially, has been a a huge cauldron of anxiety around that because so many people haven't raced for so long, right? They're like, we really, nobody kind of has any idea of where they are. And there's just been a lot more of that. I'm not sure how fit I am. And then there've been some really great PRs that I've seen this fall. So trust your training. That's, that's really a huge part of this. Yes. So from a duration perspective, I love this cause you're a, you're a minutes guy <laughs> and I get questions about how long should my runs be? And again, my first answer is well, it depends, but we do receive different benefits from different lengths of runs, shorter, medium, long, longer, longest, Generally speaking, when we are in a base training phase and either going by distance, which equates to time when I'm training some of my athletes by distance, I I do it because I know roughly how long it takes them to run that distance. But for many athletes, we also just go purely by duration. How long of a run are we looking at as we sort through our base training week on any given day?
1: Yeah. And so, like you said, it sort of depends, right? So if if someone is just coming off a marathon block and, you know, their long runs in the marathon, they're they're used to running 16, 20 mile long runs, like, let's back off of that. But, you know, for them, maybe 12 to 16, maybe 12 to 14, 10 to 14 would be a good long run. Or, you know, depending on their speeds, 100, I might give them 120 minutes. You know as like the longest run you're going to possibly do and sort of the one long run of each week like getting to that sort of depending what they're training for next two right like if they're training for a 5k the base is a little different maybe we don't even do a base phase but um you know for a half marathon like yeah at that if they're someone who's comfortably running double digit runs sure then they can probably get to that in their base while accompanying it a couple medium long runs. So if they do a long run of like 12 to 14, then a couple runs at eight to 10, you know, to go along with that. And then a couple easy fill-in days where it's like 45, 50 minutes. And depending, you know, since it's minutes, it's gonna depend on their easy pace on how many miles. I don't really care about how many miles per week, as long as it's not blowing their max out of the water. You know, we're not going from 60 to 80, but, you know, supporting runners with the volume they're accustomed to um but not the peak volume.
0: And that's an important distinction because a lot of runners will finish a really big training cycle, let's say they peaked at 65 miles per week, you know, in the marathon block, and then now that they, you know, a couple of weeks post-race they're thinking, "Oh, okay, well I ran 65 miles that one week, you know, 62 miles that other week." I guess that's my new weekly mileage now. I guess I'm a 65 mile per week runner and that's the, no, your peak week mileage is not where you need to be starting from after your race. That is, that is peak week. That is not where your base or weekly mileage is. Um, That's just asking for trouble.
1: Yeah, and it's usually because, right, because usually in peak, it's a 20, 20 22, 18-mile long run. So if you go then build that into a base period where you're not doing a long run that week, but you want to fill out your training, so you're like, I need 62 miles this week, you're going to add in these super long runs that you're not used to. 12, 14-mile midweek long run you've maybe never done because your long run is six miles shorter than it was during peak week. So, yeah, I think when you look at your training block as a whole, look at those other 10 to 12 weeks, call that sort of, Average your base and then use that to go forward. And then next base build on top of that. But again, the base is really just about that foundation. So don't stress on if I don't run 60 miles a week in my base, I'm not doing it right. No, you're doing it fine. Average it on what's com- what your body can handle. And then when you get into this serious race specific phases, get to that. You can get back to 60, 62, 65 again.
0: Do you ever go through some mileage building in the base training phases for your runners?
1: You mean like increase?
0: Yeah. So if somebody said like, I am a 40, I want to get to 50 because, you know, I feel like that would be really helpful for my next training cycle. Or even somebody I'm running 15 miles and I want to get to 25, you know, wherever they're starting from, they're saying, you know, I feel like just being able to run more would be more helpful for me without going through the race specific training cycle.
1: Yeah. I think if they've never done a base before, it's not a good idea to all of a sudden take their first base and go, okay, well let's increase the volume to something you've never done. Right. So let's start a base. It's something they can handle, um, that they're comfortable with. And then if we do another base cycle, yeah, we can definitely increase it. I think the second part I would ask is just kind of, I always like to push on runners who equate mileage per week with fitness, because as you've said, and as my coach tells me, your body doesn't know miles at no stress. So it's just a number. I know runners love numbers. I know we're on Strava and you look at your friend and they're doing 80 and they had the same goal as you and you're doing 60 and you're like, I can't run as fast as them. So I like to push back on runners who say, I wanna get faster, so I wanna do more miles. Like that's not really the only equation. It, let's talk, you know, if I get to, if I know about them and they're doing all the other stuff, maybe mileage is the equation, but if it's just, okay, well, I'm not doing workouts. I'm not doing strength training. I've never done a base phase. You know, I run all my easy paces really fast, but I want more mileage because I want you faster. I'd say, well, we have, you know, red flags. Let's handle those. And then mileage can be a next step in the equation.
0: How do you guide? Well, as a coach, it's easy because you program it in. But, you know, for somebody who is maybe they're in a base training phase right now and they're looking around for the right, you know, plan for them I want to train for a half marathon or a marathon coming up. And generally speaking, we don't want to choose a plan that is too well, in general, we never want to choose a plan that's too aggressive ever. But most runners left to their own devices, most runners listening to this podcast or self-coach, most runners left to their own devices end up training in a way that is far too aggressive for their ability. What is your general recommendation for choosing a volume of a training plan based on their current base?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think you know wanting to just take take if you, depending how many blocks of training someone has, how many merit, whatever training blocks they've done before, kind of looking at what type of mileage they've done previously, and sort of using that as a starting point. And then sort of, you know, also understanding, like, are we adding new stimuluses in this base? Do they want to add strength training? Okay, well, let's maybe have a little less volume in the base block because you've added this new stressor, you know. Or they want to add some other cross training into this that they've never done before because they feel like cycling would be good for them. Anything like that sort of has me go, okay, mileage, not, let's not worry about mileage much. Let's add these other stimuluses in this, add these other things in. Um, so helping people find that right range, I think is just sort of understanding where their max is, where they've ever done, um, and, you know, understanding what they feel comfortable with. And then it's some, somewhere around what they feel comfortable with, and maybe even a little less than that, because again, it's just this period of training where you're just putting these, this volume in this space, then you don't need to rush it. You know, like I said earlier, it's 300, miles. So if I just run 300 mile weeks, I'm done. Like, no, that's not really why we're trying to do this. You know, it's, it's, we want a certain amount of weeks. We want you to get there at your own pace. That's comfortable for you without hurting you. Because again, if you push the base too hard, we just end up injured when it's over and then no bricks, they all just have crumbled.
0: That's a, that's a really important point um, because the impatience factor is a huge one. And I saw somebody post this today on Instagram where I spend most of my life. Basically the number one cause of injury in runners is impatience. And yes, there are other causes and sometimes things happen, but so often with the running injuries that we're into with the roadblocks that we create for ourselves or because we got impatient and try to force it to increase faster than we should have to do something that was too aggressive like can you help calm some people down and like it's okay to take things slow that's how it should be done
1: so one of the things i think is important to look at right is let's look at professional runners i know we don't want to compare to them but think of a lot of them who peak when they're 28 they started running when they're 14 like they devoted 14 13 10 years to get to this peak so why should we after two years three years of running maybe not even doing all these specific things like base building that they're doing or having blocks or, you know, all the tools they use that they're ready. Why would we assume we can get there quicker? So yes, it's hard to hear for runners to go, okay, yeah, you can improve over time, but every runner doesn't just take 20 minutes off their marathon PR and then do it again. Like it, that is all built in the years of training previously. So if you look at, you know, I like to tell my athletes, let's set big goals and what what can you do in three years? a lot of athletes come in they're like i race in six months i want to pick off x amount of time i go that's great that's a process point well what think big what can you do in three years like how much time could you take off in three years okay and then they dream a little bigger and then i say okay forget that number now we're going to do training block we're going to do these races we're going to do these cycles and we're all going to keep marching closer and closer towards that so when you have a workout and it goes amazingly okay that's more fitness towards that big goal right and along the way, we'll do races and we can PR in those races. Obviously, we don't have to PR by X minutes to be Y minutes closer to that big goal. It doesn't work that way. We just need to understand it. Everyone in this sport that you see on Instagram has a story behind them of eight, 10 years of devoting to this sport. You know, there was a great runner. Uh, I'm a big fan of Patrick Reeves from Bowerman Track Club Elite. And someone posted he did like 45,000 miles over a 10 year period to get to the Olympic trials in 2020. Like, that is that is a person who has put the consistency over time to reach that goal. It, you know, everyone doesn't need 45,000 miles, but it's just that example of saying like, this is this is what sometimes behind someone, you might see this guy on the line and go, oh, he probably got here with no training. Uh, you know. So I think understanding it's great to have goals. It's great to, you know, Olympic trials becomes this thing that everyone's shooting at. after. BQ is a thing every year, right? I got to get there. You will, you know, have patience. If you put so much pressure on it along the way, it will slow you down. It will cripple you and it will catch up with you. You know, when you play with fire and you do these training blocks where you increase intensity too much. Yeah, maybe you survive one, maybe two but you always get burned, right? And the burn is not like, oh, I'm out for a couple of weeks. Like it is sometimes these chronic injuries you see online where people are out for two years trying to figure out what's wrong with them. Like, we don't want that. You know, we want to consistently increase over time. We can't avoid injuries. And Everyone gets injured at some point, but if we're more consistent with our training, if we build a foundation, if we, you know, look at this big picture, we can get there over time
0: you know, seeing amateur runners toe the start line at some of these big events, the trials or the actual in the Olympics sometimes. And it's obviously these athletes are unbelievably talented, but they also had to put in more work than is almost possible to imagine to get to where they are. Right. So, you know, if we recreational runners put in a fraction of that work, you know, I think that we would probably blow past most of our own expectations without even realizing it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Instagram becomes this thing we love and it's a support of a community, but also sometimes it becomes this thing that that does exactly what you say. It forces our timeline. It forces us to be aggressive because we see others doing it. And we want to join them. You, everyone has their own journey. Everyone's journey is different. Everyone's journey is amazing, right? So embrace that. Don't try and be like someone else's journey. Try to make your, their journey, your journey, enjoy what you have and the pace you're going at. And, you know, work work accordingly that to in within the range you can handle with your life, right? Because someone may have no stresses and less stresses. Everyone has stresses. Someone may have less stresses than you, you can't replicate their training. You have to replicate what you can handle.
0: Let's talk about the glory that is easy effort running. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a real this is a real sticking point for a lot of runners because you know, they think, well, you know, running a little bit slower than my marathon pace. Marathon pace is my slowest of my race paces. I'm sure I'm somewhere in my easy zone. Um, But actual easy effort running is a really important part of how your training should come together. How do you guide your athletes into finding their easy effort zone?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I usually work with the idea of, so I call it conversational pace. I Sometimes if athletes run with someone else, it's easier. It's can you have a full conversation with the person you're running with? Are you breathing too heavy to have that conversation? If you are, it's too fast. Um, If you're by yourself, I I say you can talk out loud if you want to, but you don't have to. But then I sort of work under this premise of, you know, heart rate data on your wrist is not fantastic. So we don't usually go by that. If someone wants to wear a stress, stress strap, we can sort of use that heart rate data as a guiding point. But really it's just checking in on yourself, on your breathing, seeing how you feel, and really just honing in on everyone, telling literally every single person, you can run slower. Because there is not one runner out there, probably. I mean, I don't know every runner. There are very few runners out there who really cannot slow down their easy days and still get benefit. And what the the way I tell someone says, well, I don't know if I'm running too slow. If you're chopping up your stride, if you can't comfortably run, if it starts to hurt because you're like doing this walk-run thing that you're just not used to, that's too slow. If you're not there, it is perfectly fine for that day.
0: If anybody's ever seen um, Elliot Kipchoge do the the shuffle run, like the man can run a sub-two-hour marathon, and he shuffles on some of his easy days. We're talking slow, slow running pace. If he can run slow on his easy days, you can too.
1: Yeah, I think like, you know, with runners, it always comes to these round numbers, right? If you if you prodded some graph of what people do for their easy pace, I bet people seven, eight, nine, everyone's around that very few people are around nine fifteens, nine twenties, nine 20s, nine 40s. It's just this is a round number. This is my goal. I'm going to just run easy days always at this pace. And, you know, sometimes they don't even take into account, Hey, it's humid. Hey, it's hot. Hey, I love at altitude. Hey, I'm running a mountain today. Hey, I'm sore from my workout yesterday. It's, it's, I have decided seven minute pace is my easy pace for every run or eight minute pace. And I'm going to run that always. It's not how easy pace works in the base phase. Maybe you're going to not have that cumulative fatigue from just running easy runs. So maybe every day you could run eight thirties, but you know, as it gets harder on and you're doing workouts. Yeah. The next day after a workout, I, I go out there and I jog real slow and I don't care. I don't even look at my watch. I just, you know, I get 60 minutes. I look down and I'm like, Oh, 10 minutes to go. Let's run home. And I have to time up below my run. I don't even know what pace I ran. Cause it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't
0: matter on easy days. It does not matter what your pace is. And a lot of runners, I feel like have the, the double digit fear. Oh God. If I, if I see double digits on my watch, you know, oh, that's like somehow bad or shameful or like not okay, you know, but if that's where your easy run takes you on that day, if you're in that 10 or 11 or 12 minute per mile range, and that's your easy zone, that's your easy zone. So it's not about what the pace is. It's about how it actually feels in the effort. And I think that's such a really, really hard thing for runners to kind of that... uh, the dichotomy of the power we give the numbers when we're racing and then like we have to eliminate the power from the numbers when we're training
1: yeah and it goes through every run has a purpose right so if and i try to work my runners a lot of them want to know the why so we talk about what the purpose of each run is in the week or why this workout is a certain way you know the purpose of easy runs is to run easy it's literally in the name so you do not gain more fitness running your easy runs easy you probably gain less and you hurt yourself so as slow as you need to go to recover is what matters. If, if you can handle sevens, but you really should be running eights and your workouts are going fine, it's going to catch up with you. Eventually it's just science, right? It's your body mechanics. It's, it's all of that physiologically, you know, eventually catches up with your mechanics and catches up and hurts you.
0: And I also want to kind of clarify that there's no such thing as a goal, easy pace like that, that doesn't exist. Like you might have a goal race pace, right? But you can't say, I want to run a sub three hour marathon. I want to run a sub two hour half marathon and say, well, based on that race pace of X minutes per mile, my easy pace should be in this pace range. And like, that's not how your body works, right? You're, you're, Your current effort, your current fitness is always where you want to be training. And with proper training, we hope to get to that goal on race day, but you can't, you can't back calculate your easy pace based on what your race goal might be.
1: No. And, you know, for me, my easy runs have gotten slower as I've gotten faster. I, you know, when I was a 115 half runner, I would run, you know, seven minute pace all the time. As I became a 110 half runner, I'd run eight minutes, 8:30 sometimes. You know, when I was in college, I'd run my easy runs. I found my log recently, like 5:45 pace, because we're college kids and we're sort of idiots. And you know, my body recovered differently, but I definitely was always flat for races. But so, you know, as I've gotten older and faster, my easy run has slowed down two plus minutes, um, because there is no, like you said, there is no goal. There's no pace that I need to be hitting to show that I'm capable of running these times in a half or a full.
0: So to recap about base building, lots of easy running. Yes, you can do workouts, but that's not the point. The point is not to do the workouts and it does not matter how slow you go on your easy days, as long as your effort is in the right place. Yes. Yes. Sounds simple, right? Everybody go, go base build, (laughs) go, go have fun. Um, so base training, And I, you know, I think what you said before about we talk about base and there are different kind of definitions of base, base building, base training, depending on what we're applying it to. But then there's also maintenance, which may or may not be different from base training, given the context. And I'm thinking more about maintenance being more of an off-season thing, separate from base training and preparation for your next cycle. And it's kind of feels like we're almost splitting hairs, but for me, I think of those things as different things.
1: Yeah. And I think another way to use maintenance, right, is between races. So if you have a goal race, like a half and then you decide you have another one and you want to do another one in six, eight weeks, right. You may use maintenance for a few weeks to recover from that half that you went all out on. Yes. Going out a lot and a half recover some, needs some recovery. And so you may work in a maintenance phase for a couple of weeks, you know, maybe add in an extra rest day to let your body recover from the breakdown from running all out for a half and, you know, maybe but still do workouts. You may be able to do a tempo run that week. You know, you may be able to still do a long run, but just giving yourself while doing workouts, giving yourself some ability to recover from that race and go into maintenance phase for a couple of weeks and then sort of jump back in. Because I think too often it's, okay, well, this race, I ran it hard all out. I didn't run my goal time. It's going to do another one in f- six weeks. I'll just start training immediately that, let's say Tuesday's my workout day. Okay, well, Tuesday, I'm back out of workouts, five by a mile. Okay, well, did you recover from that effort? It's different if you didn't race that race, like if it was a workout or a part of the plan, it's different. But if you raced it and didn't call it a tempo run when it didn't go right, you know, it needs ample recovery. So I'm using a maintenance phase sort of can help with that.
0: How would a runner find their maintenance or is it really the same as that base training volume that we discussed before?
1: I think it can be a little less, right? Especially that first week after a race, I think it can add in, like, you know, let's say you do one, one rest day a week, like you could add in the second one, maybe that if you race on a Sunday, maybe that Monday becomes a rest day maybe like your normal Thursday, um, you know, the runs can be a little lighter that first week, or maybe you skip your first workout. Maybe you go three easy runs, your workouts on a Wednesday, and then you go into the weekend, and if you're feeling okay, you do some stuff in your long run, or you just have a really easy week and let yourself fully recover, and then next week jump back in. Or, if you feel okay, take an extra rest day, maybe a little lighter on the volume that week, but you can still add in some intensity. But I think it's really, you know, the reason why we don't always tell runners to okay run your goal race and then have another goal race four weeks later and you're going to run them both all out is because the maintenance phase is is something that has to sort of need a little more tweaking a little more understanding of what you can handle because if you do push too much out that's why runners don't make it to their second race um, or they end up burned out and you know after that second race then it's a little bit now we're into a down period or injury period because it's hard to understand, like pro runners struggle with it too. Like they get in those seasons and you see they do one amazing race and then all of a sudden they're pulling out of the rest of the season. You know, it's maintenance phase is tricky. So it's something you have to play with and see how much your body can handle. And I would say always just err on the side of caution, right, be a little less, Um, you know, do a little less that week, especially after the race. All your fitness doesn't disappear because you had an extra rest day. You know, if you ran a great race that Saturday or even like around the right time, even if it wasn't the right time and you know, your fitness is there, it's not going to disappear because you took a maintenance week or a lighter week. It's still going to be there for your next race, but it won't be there. If you don't make it to that next race.
0: I mentioned, uh, notice that you used the half marathon as an example for, Hey, you race one, you have another one in a couple of weeks. You didn't use the marathon as an example for running back-to-back marathons. Why, why is that not really recommended?
1: You know, I mean, you can, everyone after Chicago, a lot of Instagram people put out a lot of good information about what really breaks down in your body after a marathon. Um, I, as a coach, I don't like to use my own, you know, experiences with running to, Coach my athletes, a lot of them recover very differently than I do. But usually for me, it takes about seven to eight weeks. after my race to feel good in workouts. Like for me to have a workout that I feel comfortable with, that's a long time. So I think, you know, it's hard to take down the full weight of a marathon all out. Now, if you didn't race all out, if you ran half of it and then you kind of the rate was humid and you just kind of threw it in. I mean, there's still a lot of wear and tear on your body because Let's not ignore that humidity is terrible. Like Chicago, if you took Chicago and all of a sudden you just shut it down in half, you still ran a marathon that day. Like Even if you jogged it in, it was hot, it was humid, it was gross, and all that wears on your body, the same effort as if you ran that thing all out in perfect condition. So I think it's just, I don't recommend it that many. Three months later, sure, maybe. I mean, if you can recover force eight weeks later it's not advisable to try and do another marathon you're just be you don't even know if you're fully recovered by the time you're trying to start another marathon and you won't know until you're out there trying
0: and anecdotally i'll chime in because i agree with you i mean my athletes recover very very differently um so i ran i ran a marathon two and a half weeks ago and just in the past few days have I actually started to see, well, I wear a whoop, I have the recovery device. And I, I, I base how I feel on more than just what the metrics tell me, but it does track a lot of things like respiratory rate and resting heart rate and my heart rate variability. It has only been in the past two days of the past two and a half weeks where my actual biomarkers of, hey, you're actually kind of fully recovered now. It has taken this long for me to get back to a place where my body has finally, finally stopped, stopped exhibiting the biomarkers of being under extreme stress.
1: Yeah. And that's the stuff you don't know, right? Like, you know, you could go get your, you know, a blood work done. You could see your CK levels would be like through the roof after a marathon. How long does it take to get back to a normal level of your normal training? I don't know. You will, you have no clue unless you want to go do blood work again in four weeks and six weeks and just to see how you're recovering. But that's a biomarker. You don't know a whoop obviously uses heart rate variability some parts of your body that i don't understand heart reveal enough to, to talk about in this podcast in some technical fashion but there's many factors in play and how you feel and none of them are just i feel good on my easy runs or i feel good in my workouts you're still technically could be recovering and that will show up not during your workouts during your race
0: how does base building and maintenance differ from an off season so if somebody says or it does it somebody says all right, I, I have like my very specific training cycles and I have a base training phase and I have the maintenance because I'm running two, you know, I had two half marathons within six weeks, but now I hear I should have an off season. What the heck is an off season?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'd call an off season more than maintenance, but like this idea of like, okay, let's take some time off during the year and just do nothing. Right. Like, you know, some of my runners got two weeks off after their marathons recently. Um, and they were very happy that none of them really rushed to come back. Some wanted to come back a couple of days afterwards. And again, everyone's different, but you know, if for some of them, it was like a culmination of this thing that started before COVID, right. Of I had this race, I've been training for it for basically two years. Um, to me, I said, okay, this is a great time. Let's just shut it down for a couple of weeks. You've literally been had this race on your mind for two years. Like that is a long cycle. It's longer than you've ever had. We usually don't live in this world. You usually pick your race and you run it and it doesn't get canceled. So in that case, a lot of athletes got what I call an off-season, a mini off-season to just recover. And again, this is a great time to work on other things. Add if you want to add in strength training, a perfect time is during a maintenance off-season, right? Like you don't even have to, you're not running, you're just sort of working on another stimulus. You can cross-train, you can walk, you can do anything you want without like, going to orange Theory or hiit workouts that are like just sort of cheating the system oh well, i'm not running well yeah but so you know i think that really treating that time well and giving yourself that maybe once a year for a couple of weeks is really important a lot of runners do it in december because you know they'll have a november december marathon what better time than sort of just to shut it down for a little bit when it's usually cold where you are, it's the holidays and those types of time. A lot of my runners get that. And then if they're doing Boston, you sort of roll right into it if you want. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily depend when, but just having that built in sometime during the year where you just get that because, you know, you don't need to be training 52 weeks a year. Again, go back to the pros. They take many, they take big vacations when their cycles are over, but they do train very hard during their training blocks, right? So, if you want to ever emulate them, you train hard and then you you rest hard.
0: What about for runners who are afraid to take any sort of downtime, whether it's proper recovery or any sort of off-season, because they're afraid of losing fitness. Cause like, hey, I get it. You worked hard for that fitness. I don't want it to go anywhere either. But that's not exactly how fitness works.
1: No, so you know, there's a lot of science about how long you lose VO2. But also there's this idea of, right, like when you've done something once before, it is easier to get back to muscle memory, things of that nature. You can run, it takes X amount of fitness to get back to where you're for, and then X plus Y to get to a new level. So if you are this, I'm showing my hands and no one's going to see this, but you know, if you're at this level and you want to, you take some time off and you dip a little low that you will get back to that level without adding in a ton of extra work is but to get to that next level, yeah, you have to add an extra stimulus. you have to add an extra you know block of training to build up to that next level. But not we shouldn't fear rest time because it's something our bodies desperately need and it only helps our bodies stay more, you know injury free, more um, you know, able to handle the load ahead if we can take some time down. And again, for all of us, we should look at running as something that enhances our life. It's not some stressor that we have to always do every day. We can't miss, run streakers aside, because they have different intentions, but you know, it, for anyone who's not a run streaker, you don't have to look at every day, I have to be out there grinding, and I can't miss, I can't have an unscheduled rest day. It's not how this works. Like there is a mental part of running. It's a big mental part, loving it, being joyful, enjoying it that matters a lot more to how you will perform, how you will believe in yourself and how you will end up doing in your races. I like to say that there is a physical level of fitness and there's a mental level of fitness. And if your physical fitness is you know, X, but your mental fitness is X minus like Y, you will run at X minus Y. You will never achieve more in your mental fitness. So you, you have to believe in your training. You have to be Not burned out. You have to be confident. You have to be, you know, all those barriers you have to overcome to reach the physical limitations that your body is pushing out all the time through the training. So rest allows us to not burn out, to not turn this thing we love into something that we are anxiety filled about.
0: A lot of the times, the pressure that we put on ourselves, like nobody is making me do my runs, right? Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not a pro athlete. You're not a pro athlete. We don't get paid to win races, that sort of thing. There's no, you know, really, I think if either one of us never ran again, nobody would come after us and say, why aren't you running? I missed you. You know, so maybe they would for you. Um, but you know, that's the whole point is that we're supposed to enjoy this. And sometimes it's, it's easy to forget that because we can set such high expectations for ourselves that this should be fun yeah you're gonna love every single run that you go on but like you should be enjoying the bulk of the sport and if you're in a place where you're just having a miserable time maybe it's time to take a step back and refocus and kind of return to basics for a while
1: yeah i think that's a lot of people who hit those blocks in, in in training where they feel like they're not improving and they're hitting this area and they can't get past this time a lot of the time it's those runners that are digging way too deep into oh well i used to do this or i have to do this or i have to run this fast and that stresses you out when you feel like your running is entangled with how fast you have to be and you know i wrote something on instagram the other day but like you know everyone started running for a reason what their why right like and a lot of people said this brings me joy it's fun it's my relaxing time it's my time away from my family it's my time in nature And then at some point, like people end up loving this more, they get good at it and then they start getting after goals. Maybe they get a coach. Maybe they use the phrase that I hate all in and, you know, I'm now into this thing and they, they don't bring that. Why with them, they don't bring that joy because you can't have fun. This is air quotes. You can't have fun, but also like pursue your goals and chase and run PRs. Like it's either one or the other and I need to be serious now. And when you don't take that why with you when you don't take that joy with you with its joy, you will never, you will, eventually it will stop because you'll hit that point of why am I doing this? And if you're, it's just because I have to run X time now to prove to me or some person who doesn't really even care if I run this. Yeah. You're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be, that's not something easily overcoming. So, you know, always remember to bring that why with you on your journey, bring that joy and, and that love of this. And it can be fun and we can chase our goals.
0: And that it feels like kind of a perfect way to wrap up to talking about base training, because sometimes just like returning to, Hey, I'm just out here to run for an hour at any pace. Maybe once a week I do a fart lick. And on the long runs I run, you know, on the weekends I run longer, like that could be a really good way to, keep the sport in your life. If you're going through a time when you're struggling with really, you know, the, the race specific cycles are really burning you out because a lot of people when they're, when they're reaching that place of burnout, they think I must have to take time completely off. And in most cases, unless there's a medical reason why you don't have to stop running, you just have to kind of change the way you run and rethink what you're trying to do when you're running, at least for the, the short term.
1: Yeah, and that's something I use with runners. When I see runners struggling with something, burning out, feeling um, too much pressure on themselves about their goals, we usually have a chat, and I try and entertain the idea of, hey, let's not do any workouts for five, seven, eight weeks. Let's just run, have fun. Your goal is fun every day. Enjoy this. We'll do miles. We can run somewhere near, you know, base mileage for you, maybe a little more if you're in season. But let's just find that love again, find that joy. And so many runners have come back and they've been like, all right, I'm ready. You know six eight weeks later without doing any workouts yeah the first week they're like what it's workout day but you know eventually they get to the point where they're like okay yeah i'm enjoying this um it's part of the plan it's part of my process and you know i'm gonna build off of this and they come back and a lot of that pressure and anxiety is off them and it's now back to that why
0: so for a runner who is now thinking that they want to include base training in how they're structuring the next, you know, 12 to 18 months of running, because yes, rudders, you should be thinking at least that far ahead <laughs> in what you're doing. So you make sure everything fits together reasonably well. Um, you know, what are your recommendations for kind of how to approach a, a base training phase? Again, like you said, you said, you know, between 300 and 500 miles, you know, between 10 and 12, eight, eight I guess eight to 12 weeks. Like what are the kind of the general guidelines a runner might start to follow understanding? Of course, there's going to be huge variation between runners depending on what they're doing.
1: Yeah. a Great example. Right. So if someone ran a marathon in the beginning of October and I'll just use an April race, you know, it's like six months away. Right. So you finished your marathon, you took however long time you needed one day, 12 days, whatever. And you started back up again, you know, start, not again at your base volume but work your way up a couple weeks you know train like you normally would so like two or three weeks depending on how you usually do up and one week down so make sure you build in down weeks they're still important during base and you know each week just work until you get build up until you get to your regular base volume that you've done during training whatever you're comfortable with Uh, if you're going to increase runs increase like let's say you have increase your long run each week increase two runs a week that are sort of medium long runs let's say your long runs 120 minutes have two 90 minute runs and then the rest can be whatever fills out your volume if you do six days a week maybe a couple 40 minute run a few couple 40 minute runs and you know that keep building up those those medium long runs that long run and do this over about six to eight weeks 300 500 miles like that's probably you know you know if you don't get to you should get to 300 miles after eight weeks depending if you're not it's fine but like and then, sort of, you can if you want to and you have time, you can work in a little um, workout phase where, like we talked about, you know, four to eight weeks. Um, you know, this whole thing's probably about twelve to sixteen weeks, depending how much time you can give to it with your goal coming up. If it's Boston, or if it's an April race and it's October, you probably have three months of base you could do, and then twelve weeks of marathon training. So, you know, you could work in four weeks of 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 base workouts, so like we talked about progressions, fartleks. You know, you could jump in a race if you can really av- avoid the caring of time. Maybe don't even wear a watch. Some my athletes put tape on their watch. Like who cares if you can go in this race and not care, but just run hard. You know, a 5k can be a great fitness check during um, you know a down week. So let yourself be sort of recovered that week, a little lighter load, and then go run a fitness check just to not judge anything. I don't care no don't care where you're at during your base block but I bet most people will be surprised how much fitness they still have just from doing base training. And so and then you know like I said progression fartlek runs for those 4 to 8 weeks and then get your 12 weeks in and then you know start go, now get into the race get into the race specific training. And with all that behind you you will not have let's say if you're starting October you won't have 24 weeks of workouts all under you because you started the two or three weeks after your race where you might burn out, where you might, you know, be mentally fatigued going into the most important weeks. Now it's a 12 week plan with an enormous base behind you that didn't have much intensity. So you should feel good going into it. And that would be a great way to start a base. If you can build that much time, you have three months. Okay. Maybe it's not a great time to try and build in a base to your next marathon, but maybe for your future one, give yourself a little more time.
0: And I'm just going to put the kind of harm reduction caveat in that if you are following a 12 week long marathon training cycle, that presupposes that you have a pretty serious volume behind you. This is not somebody whose very first marathon training plan should be 12 weeks long, right? This is somebody who has a, a relatively high mileage base already that allows them to only need 12 weeks for this one race.
1: Yes, that's fair. I, I, you know, working on the assumption, if you put out a good base, then you can roll right into it. If you if you've have no base. Don't just do a 12 week plan. 16, 20 weeks is much more ideal.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause so if you have 12 weeks of the race specific and like two to three or sorry, 12, yeah. 12 weeks of three months of race specific and two to three months of base building, that's five to six months of technically working towards that one race goal. So, yes. you know, it is much longer than 12 weeks. And I think a lot of people, when they're putting together their, you know, their, their training planning and saying, well, this, cycle is 12 weeks long and this cycle is 16 weeks long. And it's like, well, you actually start preparing for your cycle in the months ahead of time, whether that is a base training or a maintenance or whatever the thing is, it's not just about the actual weeks you spend training for that one race.
1: Yeah. And another good work I didn't mention, but Hills, right? So, you know, Hills are great again, because there's no emphasis on speed or time, just find something that's steep and run up it for a minute, two minutes and then jog down and then do it again. And do it however many times you want, five, six, eight, I don't care. But like hills are great and they're great sense of fitness. You're running up something, you're not really putting the same type of load that you would stomping on a flat ground. And it's a great time to put into um, the base phase. You know, some larger hills don't overdo it. But again, just like fartleks and other things, it's these it's these emphasis on these workouts where we're not caring about our paces and we're just running and we're enjoying it.
0: Hills are great. And I, people always ask, what's the perfect exact, you know, uh, incline and length of the hill. And I'm like, the perfect hill is the one that's near your house. (laughs) Whatever that hill is, that's your hill, right? The most convenient hill to you is the hill you should be doing these, you know, I call them hard uphills on. Yes. Don't overcomplicate it. (laughs) Uh, Nick, this has been really wonderful. I hope that we have educated the listeners on what base training, what base building is and why it's so important to actually spend time working on your base, really, no matter what you're training for. Um, You, as we've mentioned several times, you are a running coach. Are you working with any openings right now? Are you taking new clients or do you have a wait list?
1: I have a couple spots open, but then after that, probably a wait list for... Probably a little bit of time. So there's, you know, a few spots, a couple spots for the fall going into next year. Hopefully someone has them. If you have a marathon early next year, it's a great time to start now. Um, you know, I like to tell athletes, uh, you know, sort of this idea of like, it takes time to work with a coach, right? It takes time to learn each other. It takes time to learn. I don't know you, most likely. I need to learn what works in three months. It's very rare for me to figure out what exactly you need, how many miles, how to adapt to your life, what stresses you have, all those things. I can't get it in the initial call. So understand that, yeah, if you have a race, it's fine. We can work together, but give some investment to this, this idea of coaching. Don't just go in and expect, I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to get a PR and then I'm going to get another PR. Like this, don't, the relationship is much more than that. To me, it's about you know, much more than just these PR and numbers. It's helping someone supporting their life, being there a part of their journey, you know, and helping them navigate the complexity of all this. So um, yeah, a couple spots available.
0: Nick, thank you so much. If you're not following Nick on Instagram, you should end Clistava. You'll find him on Instagram, follow him. He shares wonderful coaching information and really funny reels. You've mastered the (laughs) reel. I'm very impressed by that. So that's gonna be linked uh, below in the show notes. And Nick, thank you for your time. This is a great conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.